You're listening to I Have Some Notes, a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Welcome, everyone, to I Have Some Notes, Side Notes Edition. We are discussing our own pitches for movies uh, on this particular uh, episode of Side Notes. I'm your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. And we are joined by uh, uh, now just a regular guest of the show. I said this to Olaf <laughs> last week, and I'm saying you're just now on the rotation. Friend of the show, regular guest, um, the uh, game master of... Uh, Quantum Kickflip right here on the Alberta Podcast Network. Uh, one of the members of the Debutante Sketch Comedy Group. Uh, back in uh, uh, making new music, uh, band member of Success 5000. Uh, check them out. They've got new stuff. It's Robin Slack is here. Robin Thank Slack. you so much for having me. Yeah, thrilled to be back. As uh, as always, delighted to be asked to be on the show. Yeah, when I, when I pitched you this, hey, let's do pitches premise, I was like, hey, I got a pitch for you. Do you want to pitch movies and you can say no, because really I'm asking for all your best ideas for free for nothing. Uh, and I was so excited for this because not like, while yes, I do have ideas that is like, I don't really want to give that away on a podcast. I'd love to actually get a chance to make that someday. I also have ideas that no one will ever let me make. And there's no universe in which I ever have am in a position to make these movies. So I'm so stoked that these things that have been rattling around in my brain can finally serve a purpose other than just rattling around in my brain yeah 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 the pitches that i have are, are sort of of the very high budget variety that would like mm-hmm. <laughs> i will never be in that position to be able to make such a thing at least one of my pitches is i want this director to make this movie so i'm definitely <laughs> not going to be the one making it <laughs> so yeah that is the the premise of this episode we're going to uh just pitch to each other uh and then elaborate on those pitches and obviously to you our listeners we've got some pitches from our listeners in at the end um and uh yeah just spitball some ideas for cool movies uh so let's say we get right into it who who wants to go first we didn't decide who's got the <laughs> who i mean i feel conch? like i feel like our guest should have the opportunity to pitch first oh boy okay um <laughs> <laughs> or if you <laughs> yeah no i'm in but i'm your in call. it's your call so, um, please then please yeah so uh, mine, uh, all of the ideas that I have come up with are generally things that, like I say, I will never be in a position to make this movie, generally because they're like licensed properties that I don't have the rights to. Um, and so I, came, I tossed around a few different ones. I had a, had a strong pitch going for a canonical sequel to the 90s Super Mario Brothers live action movie. Uh, <laughs> I think now's the time. Leguizamo's hot off of Encanto. It's like, if we were ever going to make it. Who <laughs> oh boy. Uh, Bob Hoskins sadly not with us anymore, so that kind of complicated that. Anyway, where I have landed here for my first pitch, uh, y'all y'all grew up with Animorphs? Yes. Familiar with, so but never actually read them. Familiar with? Okay. I, I, remember the, I remember the name, and that's just about it, so you might have to give me I a quick I might have rundown. to give you some clips notes. Cool. Um, Liam, <laughs> what do you remember about the... Scholastic- Pride of the Scholastic Book Fair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to say, what do, you, what do you remember about the broad concept of Animorphs? It's like kids turn into animals and fight aliens, right? That's absolutely it, yeah. It's a secret (laughs) alien invasion going on. Uh, These alien slugs are taking over people's brains. You can't tell who's an alien who's not because they got slugs in their brains. 
Uh, but these kids are given uh, powers, superpowers, by a dying uh, good alien. There's good aliens and bad aliens. There's a lot of lore in this. Um, <laughs> they can turn into animals. They got to fight the alien invasion. That's the the broad premise. Mostly people remember the like covers where mm-hmm. it's like a picture of a kid slowly turning stage by stage into an animal. And the if you flip the pages at the bottom of the book, there's like an animated flip book of a kid turning into a dog or a hawk or whatever it is in that particular book. Uh, yeah, and as Liam said, Pride of the Scholastic Book Fair, there's maybe like 50-something of them, <laughs> mostly ghost-written by other people. Uh, Greg, did you all... just Google the covers? <laughs> They're so good. <laughs> They're fantastic. <laughs> the best part of the Animorphs. Um, so I have a pitch for for finally bringing the Animorphs to the big screen. They briefly had like a YTV cartoon um, that was like, I think, a Canadian production. It had the guy who played Iceman in the X-Men movie in it. And that is the only recognizable actor in the in the property. Um, that's we're we're scrapping that um, because this is not my my pitch here is I feel like a lot of these properties are pitched to they they take an old thing from our childhood and try and pitch it to modern kids and that's a mistake because modern kids do not give a shit about animorphs. No one cares. Yeah. Uh, and winning them over on animorphs is like like the name recognition that you're trying to cash in on is not going to work. Um, I say don't. Like, why would they even a make a? Why would they even make a Power Rangers movie? You know exactly. Like, yeah, it's like you have to first introduce kids to like what Power Rangers are, um, and this is even more obscure. So you don't aim it at kids at all. You aim it at adults who have nostalgia for this. So my pitch here is a dark comedy about the aftermath of a YA story. What happens when the teenage superheroes grow up and are middle-aged uh wash-ups who have been coasting on their teen superhero fame um, so the, the alien thinking, invasion is over the brain slugs have been defeated yeah, and won. now it's just a bunch of washed up middle-aged people dealing with the fact that they can turn into animals and save the world they can still turn into animals and they are <laughs> world famous for having prevented an alien invasion uh i'm thinking a tone around like something something along the lines of uh the righteous gemstones uh where it's like kind of an irreverent satirical dark comedy thing uh, and I also, my, my chosen casting for it overlaps a lot with something like that. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the broad pitch is it's a story about the grown-up Animorphs. Uh, so basically the, the books are both entirely canon, um, but also entirely not featured in the movie whatsoever. It's just all this comp- complicated lore. Uh, and they also happened in real time back in the 90s when these books were coming out. And our movie is set today <laughs> in real time. Also, um, from there, how dark, uh, how, how how dark are we talking when we're saying dark comedy? Are we talking about like the boys' level of darkness, or are we talking about maybe a little bit? <laughs> a little I bit like lighter? one of the one of the plot points from the books is that I I believe in the final book one of the five main kids because there's five main kids and you and an alien who hangs out with them and one of these five main kids dies in the final book. Um, and I like keeping that canonical, but I also, uh, love the idea of all of these characters. If you're going to make an Animorphs movie, it feels weird to just not have one of them in it. Uh, that same character, Rachel, is a girl who, uh, at one point, uh, is able to turn into a starfish and, like, gets a limb cut off, um, and becomes two Rachels. Um, that's, there's a whole book dealing with that. Uh, (laughs) so in my movie, this, this character is canonically dead, um, but also still there, uh, but they call her Starfish Rachel and everyone hates her because she's not the real <laughs> Rachel and she just reminds them of their dead friend. 
who's not around anymore. Now, now I, I just a curious. How do you save the world by turning into a starfish? Uh, that one was <laughs> one of the less useful animal forms, I think. I would think so. I also didn't know that that was a power that starfish had, that they could get a limb cut off and then just become a second starfish. Is that like... That's a... The, I think there's some basis. I don't know how, like, one-to-one it is, but, like, the idea is if you... What, like, if you yeah. cut a limb off a starfish, it will regrow into a second starfish. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's a and they they extrapolated from there and were like, well, she got a limb now she's there's two and of she her has starfish powers. That's yeah, that's the that's yeah. the power she has. That's great. Um, do you have, I, I want to get into cast here because that's the yeah, that's yeah. the uh, yeah the selling point here. So, well, your, so your before we go kid. any a little before yeah. we go a little bit further, I do want to just um, this is reminding me of the book, and then there was like a cw movie made out of it called the magicians okay uh, yeah it's, it's quite good i i feel like maybe trying to strike strike that kind of a tone but a comedy where it's like just sort of like cynical harry potter for adults it was i recommend the magicians it's just what that's making me think of sorry go on. <laughs> yeah that, no that sounds dope yeah. um i i wish i could i wish i'd seen it so i could be like yes that's the tone yeah, that's but... why i'm not making a big deal about it but that's <laughs> hey, someone I brought animorphs like, to yeah, a podcast yeah, like that, that is not super familiar with animorphs so whatever we're all making obscure <laughs> references here but hang on um, hang on just be, before you yeah. get into to casting I, I had an idea around this this starfish character so okay, yes, really yes, yes. <laughs> so, so what if if you've got like a, it's it's a it's a quartet of or, or six what's a five tet <laughs> five uh, tet quintet <laughs> quintet yeah. there you go uh so they're they're all washed up and like maybe this uh, the, the starfish character is like sort of like ends up being the the kind of like the villain because she was like <laughs> somewhat hated right so what she starts doing is like cutting off limbs and just like duplicating herself and like the more that she oh, does that very good. <laughs> the more she becomes like more powerful because there's more of her and it eventually like then they realize that like they have to stop this person because he's about to take over the world with their starfish powers i actually that, that's fantastic <laughs> i had i had considered something similar but from the other end they keep chopping off her limbs hoping that the next version of her will be one they can like <laughs> oh that's also very good um the other main plot that that if you've like if you're a kid who grew up with these books and read like three of them and then fell off of it the thing you remember is that one of the five kids uh they have a limit on how long they can be an animal they can get like two hours ish as any animal and if they go past that they're stuck as that animal forever that's where all the stakes in the book come from is like you're sneaking into the place as a rat, but like you got to get out of there before or else you're stuck as a rat forever. And one kid in the first book gets stuck as a hawk and is a hawk for the remaining 50 books. Um, he gets his his changing shape-shifting powers back at some point, uh, but still stays a hawk. It's a whole thing. Um, so we're carrying that forward too. One of these characters is just a hawk. <laughs> one of one of the characters should have gotten so fed up with how crummy the world is that they decided to just turn into an animal and never turn back. Just never come and there, back. Yeah. There should there should be a plot point where they have to seek out this person who decided, you know what? I'm just better off as a rat. I'm just going to be a rat. It's so much easier. Oh, that'd be Tobias. I, I, that'd be the hawk for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I do, I do love the idea of like uh like a a, an, a hawk that has just like given up on life, just laying back in his d- dirty apartment with his big old <laughs> beer gut smoking cigarettes. <laughs> like, yeah, I used to be something. <laughs> oh, very good. Um, 
So yeah, like I, I don't have a ton of details worked out. I just like the idea of the broad concept of like you take a con uh, a existing YA property and explore what does that look like in their middle age period. Uh, if if we're looking for for uh, set pieces and plot for later on, I figure you know there's a new alien invasion. The whole world is like, hey, animorphs, you you did it once. Yeah, you're the people we call for this sort of thing, uh, and we have a nice like getting the band back together style story. Um, I also love the idea that maybe there's a new team of teenage superheroes that like rises to the challenge that the old Animorphs are like threatened by and jealous of and we get to explore some <laughs> themes of like, you know, g- getting older and feeling like you're being replaced by the younger generation. Um, I love and then maybe the younger kids, you know, it turns out that they're being controlled by the brain slugs and it's all part of it. And so the old Animorphs have to come in and save the day because uh, only they know that these new teen superheroes are not what they seem. Uh, anyway, casting. Casting is my yes. my strong uh, strong pitch here. So for the main kid, Jake, he's just like, in the books, he's nothing. He's a very bland, like down the middle kind of a character. He's your, your blank slate protagonist. Um, I want to make him a little more interesting if this is going to be a comedy. Uh, so I, I'm picturing either a Danny McBride, an H. John Benjamin, uh, or a Tim Robinson from I Think You Can Leave. Uh, that's, that's our lead. <laughs> Uh, his best That's, buddy that definitely um, sets a tone for sure. Yeah. <laughs> best buddy Marco, the kind of wisecracking uh, uh, kid, um, he's uh, portrayed as Latino in the books. Uh, I, I my money's on John Leguizamo. Anytime I can put John Leguizamo in something, I feel like it's a crime if you don't. Uh, <laughs> but I also think it could be very fun to go the opposite direction since he was the wisecracking kid. Uh, cast him with like Javier Bardem or Danny Trejo, and just like the horrors of war have completely. Just like turned him into this, <laughs> like aged him up more than the rest of them, and and he no longer has the has the high spirits. Uh, for Starfish Girl, Rachel, uh, I love Edie Patterson on Righteous Gemstones. Uh, I could also see like a Kristen Schaal or a Vanessa Bayer, uh, just like an awkward uh, lady. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how else to describe that that character archetype. Um, for your for your hawk, uh, I mean it's going to be a voice, I guess, because the hawk is going to be a CG hawk. Uh, I'd, I'd like a Michael Sarah for that. I <laughs> think he can capture <laughs> the haunted uh, personality there. Um, I feel I feel like these get less funny as they go on because the fifth girl is just like the and the other girl who's also on the team who also didn't have a ton of personality. She was like the heart of the team, like the nice one. Um, I like uh, Nicole Byer or uh, Danielle Brooks from Orange is the New Black, just like a, a very like over the top exuberant um, kind of a female. Uh, I think she's a love interest in the book as well, but um, they could be a maybe they're they're divorced at this point because we're exploring middle age. Uh, and then for the alien, I want Titus Burgess from uh, uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And I will not negotiate on this. <laughs> correct. That is the correct casting choice. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, that's yeah, my, I, my middle-aged Animorphs movie. <laughs> I, yeah, I like that a lot. And I like comparing it to, to Righteous Gemstones because then it's not... There can be little bursts of action, but it's maybe it isn't about an alien invasion. Like, it really is like a draw, like a fairly grounded you know, sort of absurd drama. Well, and the nice um, thing is, like, the alien invasion is a secret invasion thing, right? Like, it's brain slugs that you can't see. So it could be that there's this new invasion that they think they're saving the world from is entirely in their heads. Like, they've just, they're middle-aged and irrelevant, and they miss their glory days, so they just decide that, like, or they see some evidence of, like, ah, the alien yurks are back, we need to fight them. 
but it, it's absolutely not, and they're just embarrassing themselves. <laughs> <laughs> or what? Maybe one of them's hung up on that. Like one yeah. of them is completely riddled with the da- the Danny Trejo character is like completely <laughs> riddled with paranoia. They could all they could be back at any time. They may, maybe they never left. They're just waiting, biding their time. <laughs> that's why I don't joke anymore. <laughs> Sweet, that's that's what I brought to the table. <laughs> yeah, it makes me it makes me think of like um, the way that they remake some of the old like um, TV sitcoms and TV shows and stuff like that from uh, the seventies and eighties, where like when you if you if you're gonna uh, remake like a, a Dukes of Hazard or what, or something like that. Yeah. Like you don't take the ma- the material seriously. You just turn it into something that's more of like a a slapstick and have fun with it. Same with like a I did think they did, did it with, the, with like Starsky and Hutch. Starsky, yeah, there's a whole run of those where it was yeah. like yeah, Dukes of Hazard, Starsky and Hutch, Get Smart. Though that was kind of already a comedy, but like <clears> um <throat> yeah, just like taking these old action TV shows and making putting comedian modern comedians in yeah. them. The other thing that occurred to me was like the the Cartoon Network, like Harvey Birdman and shows like that Space Ghost, where they take like a cartoon character that was aimed at kids in the 70s and make it an irreverent comedy for adults in the early 2000s or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like Galaxy Quest would be a good uh, tonal reference point. I think that's about where we'd want it to sit, where it's like... You've got these past their prime actors who who played heroes back in the day. I feel like there would be a lot of overlap with something like Galaxy Quest. Sweet. Yeah, that's a good. But no Tim Allen in this. Fuck Tim Allen forever. <laughs> <laughs> as, as obscure properties go, it's also making me think of like uh, remaking something like uh, Captain Power, which is like a show that ran for like four episodes or five episodes and <laughs> crashed and burned because it ran out of money because it was like trying to do computer animated characters in a time when like that was super expensive and very difficult to do. Oh, but it's yeah. like it was so short lived, but like every uh, person my age can remember that from their childhood. I like, think I still have short the run thing. I think I still have one of the toys. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a, a market for those nostalgic reboots and it's going to be interesting watching, you know, as we all get older, stuff that's like no longer relevant for us, like the big Danny Phantom reboot's gonna really mean something <laughs> to someone. <laughs> yeah, and that will completely go over my head. Yeah, well, t- like there they, was there was the a Dora the Explorer movie, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. and they're doing they're currently doing something with Fairly Odd Parents, and that I like got an ad for it and was like, I am not the like I I've I've aged out of your target demo for this. I don't yeah. know. I'm I'm now too old for nostalgia. For nostalgia yeah. reboots, it's depressing. I've I'm, too, I'm, it. I'm too old for the twenty year nostalgia cycle. Ugh, anyway, we, we got our Power Rangers movie. Shut up. Yeah. Sweet. Um. Cool. Who wants to go next? Mine has aliens in it. So unless we all have aliens in, I'll, uh, I'll buffer. I'll buffer. Mine technically has aliens in it. All right, Greg I'll uses go. aliens, doesn't it? <laughs> mine's mine's mine is space based, uh, Sweet, but it good. does it does not <laughs> have aliens in it unless we make some serious uh, changes to it. So, okay, so maybe. the the very the very short uh, elevator pitch for my movie is the death of Jeff Bezos, and it's <laughs> surrounded around uh, this the ridiculousness of the race to Mars amongst all these billionaires. But what I what I really been rolling around my head for a, a while is is how to make a, a movie that would be a, a commentary on all that and some of the things that I sort of landed on would be um, you know a, a, a space voyage to uh, to Mars that goes 
uh, horribly wrong, uh, where this Jeff Bezos type billionaire has created this big uh, yacht in space and his, his uh, plan is to uh, bring himself and you know a bunch of engineers and uh, and astronauts as well as um, you know people who paid to get off Earth because Earth isn't a good place anymore. It's it's been destroyed by you know billionaires, so they've decided that they're going to get the hell out of Dodge. And they the 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 thrust of the of the film is the you know them going on on board this sort of space yacht and then realizing the horrors of space travel um you know thinking of the things like they talk about in the the international space station i'm like it's really loud it's loud because you have all these machines working to keep humans alive you know it's uncomfortable it's cramped so you've got all of these like um these people who paid lots of money to get off of earth and then they're it's slowly dawning on them the the realities of like uh, what space travel is actually like, and you know, there, there's, you know, you start to build sort of animosity between towards this person who convinced you to get on <laughs> to get on board. Um, and either it could be neither a kind of like an uh, adventure that goes awry where, you know, um, there's something goes wrong with the ship, and and suddenly, you know, the the trained astronauts have all. Um, have all died in an accident and then these people have to try and find a way of landing on Mars themselves with only like with only the skills of like the the kind of like um, everymans that were left over that they kind of hired the people that weren't necessarily uh, astronauts but were sort of brought on as like you know people who are to there to grow food and things like that once they do actually do get to Mars or something like that um either that or it could be like it could just be like a a, a space mutiny type of thing where it's just like every you know as as everyone realizes like what a horrible journey horrible life they're they're expected to lead once they actually land on mars they all turn on the billionaire which could be a fun in its own right to get the sort of like this comeuppance yeah to sort of have like a, a weird sort of michael scott character who's you know thinks he's really everyone's <laughs> hero and slowly people are starting to, to <laughs> resent and hate him for the position yeah like he's just like really convinced that this is like the way to go and he doesn't really he doesn't see it himself like he's almost he's like he's he's uh so far up his own ass that he doesn't he doesn't really understand how the the nature of space travel either you know yeah, that's the, that's the kind of thing that I want to build around. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that a lot. I don't want to completely be like, you know, the other thing you could do, but it just where I thought you were going when you started this, when you said the death of Jeff Bezos and him going into space was like, I, this is what I thought you were going to pitch. And it, <laughs> what I, I like this idea, he dies in space and then it falls, follows a lot of the same beats as the movie Death of Stalin. Oh yeah! Like, everyone's <laughs> jockeying, like jockeying for position. Like, well, oh fuck, he died, and he died while orbiting to Earth. be the to be the cha- the the chair of Amazon, the chairman, and it's this like power <laughs> scramble amongst Amazon top people to, <laughs> to replace him. Um, but I, yours is yeah, yours has much more of a um, like a long game. I think like a um, uh, yeah, that descent into madness and that like. It actually weirdly reminds me a little bit. We were talking about this before the we started recording, but uh, the first half of the season of Our Flag Means Death, where it's this just completely delusional weirdo <laughs> buys a vessel and yeah. heads out into the <laughs> unknown with people who are only there reluctantly, yeah, um, and is fairly clueless to the ways of the world. 
the other way I was thinking about coming at it is like is like the the at first the, like the the billionaire type does seem to be some sort of like altruistic guy, and like and 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 like you know I think that actually makes a little bit more sense for what I want to do because he's sort of like you know the audience sort of thinks that he's this altruistic billionaire who's trying to do his very best to to save humanity from itself or whatever, and that you kind of like learn that he's full of shit through the character, the people that he's brought aboard as, as things start to collapse around them kind of thing. So, yeah, I just like, I just think it like, you know, it's just like the, I, I was trying to think of something that would be a commentary on just like, you know, the, the sort of class struggle that we're, that we're dealing with and the ridiculousness of, you know, a billionaire thinking that space travel at this point is the right way to go instead of trying to fix things on earth. Right. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't feel like necessarily casting is a, is a key part of every pit. Like, I feel like you can just pitch the movie, but I am curious if you like, do you have someone envisioned for the lead? No, I don't really. Yeah. I don't really tend to think about those, those kinds of things, but like, I don't know. Um, Ben Stiller. Uh, what's that? Who? Ben Stiller. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm serious. Well, he's, yeah. he's got. He's got that like quiet intensity that he can pull off in a lot of his comedic roles. I'm thinking of like his character in like Heavyweights, who's like the rich fitness guru who goes off the deep end. Like I, I think he would be very funny in that role, honestly. Yeah, I'd, I, I, I'd see that. <laughs> I would buy by that. I, I started thinking Steve Carell, not just for the Michael Scott reference, but but I've a lot of people didn't like it. I don't dislike Space Force. And this even has some of the tones of Space Force of like a deeply unqualified guy being in charge of space missions. And so the more you describe this, the more I'm seeing Steve Carell as the <laughs> de- delusional visionary. What about like a Matt, like a Matt Damon type? Because I don't like I don't see like I don't, he, he did like he's kind of like a quasi villain in, in um, that latest uh, Ridley Scott movie. The, um, what's it called again? The Duel? Yeah. Or, oh, yeah. last yeah. last duel. Yeah. The last duel, and um, which is I really like that movie, by the way. Um, but yeah, like I haven't seen him as be like a like a like a, a villain villain before, and I think that would be that would be somewhat interesting. Uh, plus, it would continue his uh, the memification of his career of him once again being lost in space. So. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's another in the what? interstellar Martian uh, <laughs> journey that he's been on. Yeah. Um, for what about Michael Keaton? Yeah, yeah. Just oh yeah. I'm thinking about Birdman and how he's just like this, like intense weirdo in Birdman. Well, even yeah. we yeah. just, uh, I just recently watched RoboCop with you guys, and he's the tech billionaire villain in that, right? Oh, oh right. wild! He's like the Kurtwood Smith from the. I haven't seen the RoboCop reboot. I've only no, seen the original. He's, yeah. uh, uh, he's not the Kurtwood Smith. He's no, the, he's like, not because I was the drug dealer. Yeah. The drug dealer. He's the cor- corporate guy. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Him and um, another actor. Moving on. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me let me hit you guys with this. How about Tilda Swinton? <laughs> I love it. Oh, very good. Yeah. <laughs> Instantly, yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, they follow they follow space mommy into space. Only to find- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, huge. I would buy uh, Tilda Swinton as Jeff Bezos. Like I, I would, yeah. <laughs> She's got the range. I, I could see it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Well, I think I'll uh, I, I'll hit us with the next one then, because um, I'm because I'm gonna. 
Uh, <laughs> mine, also, mine also is space and space and alien related. Oh, good. Hilarious. We're all going to be space and alien related. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah who would have thought? <laughs> Bunch of science fiction nerds pitch space movies. Um, <clears throat> so mine is uh, based on the very first sketch that I wrote for the sketch group that Robin and I are part of, the debutantes. <laughs> Uh, I never hope I know really which one I'm head. thinking of. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hope I'm thinking uh, of the right one. Never really worked as a sketch, but the more I think about it, it actually might be better as a movie. Um, it's uh, it's I don't have a working title for it, but it's essentially like ET meets Basic Instinct, um, or uh, the Iron Giant meets Fatal Attraction. Um, <laughs> where oh, go uh, on. where this is going? <laughs> <laughs> it could, so you could play it as a straight family comedy, or you could play it as a more mature comedy with the pastiche of a Harry and the Hendersons. Um, but nevertheless, <laughs> you got two POV characters, a little kid, and the alien that the kid found in the woods recently, like ET. He's currently keeping the alien hidden from his family, or at least the powers that be. Maybe the family's helping him. These are things we can explore. But he's this little kid, alien, uh, best friend, big Lilo and Stitch energy. They're living their best life. That's how the movie starts, as is the in inside of that trope, right? The inciting incident is that the kid goes into the woods another day and finds like a weird robot companion, like an Iron Giant or a Johnny Five. <laughs> brings it home and the alien gets incredibly jealous that this kid has a different second weird best friend that he found in the woods uh, <laughs> uh, and we begin the that's where the basic instinct the fatal attraction thing comes in it's really just the beats of toy story if andy could talk to the toys oh um, yeah right so the whole first the first half of the movie is the alien trying to like get rid of the the robot right trying mm. to different different plans and ploys to to get him out eventually gets desperate he's like i'm just gonna have to reveal him i'm just gonna have to expose this creature uh this this robot get him kicked out accidentally exposes um, himself accidentally exposes himself yep. well actually it exposes all three of them oh that I makes figure. sense yeah they all get and also finds out that the that robot is being designed as part of a tool part of a bigger mission to capture aliens that the humans know are like human authorities know are on earth. So um, it's the sign that his, his, his days on earth are numbered uh, is also adds some to the stakes, but yes, the, all of this subterfuge uh, and, and trying to get the alien or the robot uh, revealed gets all three of them caught. And then the final act is the alien and the robot have to get like team up and work together to get their kid friends Buzz style to save the kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like it. Um, so <laughs> uh, uh, you get to have some fun with the, like, there's always the scene of like, ooh, the you know, like the Halloween thing in ET. Like they're trying to hide the the critter, but it's like he's, the kid's now trying to hide two weird friends, but one of them is trying to like reveal the other one. Um, <laughs> so it just adds layers to that trope. Um, yeah, that's thoughts. <laughs> I love it. I I don't totally remember this sketch. I like this must have been early early days of our sketch troupe because I thought I knew the sketch you were referencing, and then. And then you had to know it was like, oh, yeah, I have a vague memory of this, but. Oh, I'm curious after which one you thought it was. But no, I just in the sketch the premise was just like it was just like those were my Spider-Man stickers. You were going to stick them on me. It was just like jealous girlfriend jokes, essentially. OK. And then it never really ended anywhere, which is probably why we never did it or used it. Um I thought you were uh, alluding to the sketch where they, you know, the space mission finds alien life for the first time and the one astronaut immediately wants to eat it. 
Um, and it's like, that's what we're doing here, right? I thought that's why we came to the moon. We want to find an alien and cook it. Um, <laughs> I'm so, amused uh, that you had... Surprise. I'm amused that you had a sketch idea that, like, in hindsight, you were like, oh, that's actually better as a full-blown story, because that actually happened to me, and I got nominated for an award for the script that came out of it, so. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Cool. Stupid uh, sketch I, idea turned into a pretty good play, actually, is is basically <laughs> the, the moral of my story. I like parodying sort of, like, the weird friend thing, where, in, in a sense, of like, like, just continually adding more friends. So- <laughs> So he keeps like they keep finding another one, or like the others, and the other friends are like, "Oh, come on, really? Another oh, you made, guy? You found another you guy a in running the woods?" Bit throughout the yeah. movie, that as they're trying to escape the government, they like find yet another one, and they're like, "We don't have time for you. Like you're gonna have to stay in the woods." <laughs> Look, I know you're a caveman that we thought of. <laughs> Look, I don't have time. <laughs> a ghost? The ghost of someone? No, we get it. I, you know what? I do not have time for psychic little girls. Go away. Yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> uh, initially my thought was like oh man what are the odds of, of one kid finding two and then I was like what are the odds of one kid finding one alien like yeah, <laughs> if you're already at that level of improbability why does it matter that he then finds the second one especially then as you go on in the plot you reveal that like oh the robot is designed to hunt aliens so like it's not implausible that maybe part of the reason they're both gravitated to this kid is that the robot was you know locked onto the energy signature or whatever like you kind of justify your own premise which i like <laughs> yeah it's the he lives near the min- military base yeah. you know iron <laughs> giant style yeah so um do you think this would work better as a stri- like as an earnest family comedy with this updated you know sort of self-referential uh, yeah. play on the the trope or d- do you play it more mature joke and we're trying to is almost again like trying to tap into the nostalgia for you know, Harry and the Henderson type movies. You know what? There's a niche right now for a good, like family comedy. And I think that that, that could fill that niche. Like we haven't had an ET or something like that in a long time or a Harry and the Hendersons. And I think that, I think that nails it. That, that is right in that slot. I would agree with that. That like, I don't think you need to go like adult raunchy self-referential comedy. I think it's gotta be a little bit like, self-aware because you are just like you're you're subverting the trope so hard that like but like something in a like mitchell's versus the machines was the thing that popped to mind of like oh it's a family comedy that also is like kind of aware of its own tropes and i feel like something like Mm -hmm. that could be a sweet spot for it i could even see it as like an animated feature like mitchell's versus the machines for the record or iron giant Mm. even yeah 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 Yeah, like iron giant yeah lilo and stitch yeah Actually, yeah. Oh man, that's the more I think about it, I'm like it, it's a cartoon. I think it's an animated feature. Pixar, we know you listen. Mm-hmm. Give Liam a call. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I was just thinking, like, there isn't really a lot of those the the live action. Well, found friend. They, I mean, they're it. just kind of more sleeper hits. Like I watched Okja recently, and Okja oh, yeah. is is this essentially? Okay. Okay. Um, the issue with animating it is you are going to have to give Chris Pratt a voice role because um, that's just that's <laughs> the law now. Um, so uh, it's a me, a Chris Pratt. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I guess Chris Pratt is the alien. I don't know. Ben Ben Schwartz is uh, probably the, I haven't seen either of the Sonic movies, but one of the best parts of the Sonic movies, getting him to do the alien might not be the worst idea. Yeah. Or an Andy Samberg. I'm so stoked for that um, Rescue Rangers movie. 
I don't know if you guys saw the trailer. For yeah, the it looks and bizarre. Yeah, I, am, I was like, I'm, oh, I'm maybe I, on the other end of the spectrum on that one. <laughs> I did not know that I didn't want this movie is what I said. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, those little things that hit your nostalgia buttons um, that I was like, yes, yes, please. I will bite on that. You got me. That answers my question because I feel like I watched it and was like, who is this for? And now I know it's for Liam. <laughs> I was just trying to figure out the lore. The like the lore of it was like breaking my brain a little bit. Like they're they're the rescue rangers, but also it's sort of like a Roger Rabbit universe. And like, are they like were they a cartoon or were they actually like people like did they actually rescue people? I didn't get it. I think Super it's, it's, they're they're going big Roger Rabbit rules. They're really trying to like re remake Roger Rabbit. Like okay. so the Seth Rogen bit got a chuckle out of me. I'll I'll give it that. Uh, Scott, what do you got for a pitch? <laughs> I want to talk about Star yeah, Wars. Else, we were talking about Rescue Rangers for the rest of the podcast. I want to talk about <laughs> Star Wars. Always, oh boy. yeah, because my pitch. Uh, much like Robin's off the top, involves IP that I will never be allowed within a thousand yards of. Uh, I almost came with a Star Wars pitch too, not going to lie. I, I heard that. Uh, but mine is mine is a straight Star Wars pitch, and it's a movie that I badly want to see, and it is my pitch for a Lando Calrissian movie. Ooh, very good. S- specifically, uh, the framing device is that you've got Billy D. Williams as Lando Calrissian sitting at a sabacc table regaling a a group of aliens with one of his adventures and it keeps flashing back to Donald Glover as Lando Calrissian having the adventure. And the joke is that the story Lando is narrating is not exactly the story that's playing out because he's pumping his own tires basically. So he'll be like, they, they (laughs) welcomed me warmly and then smash cut to Donald Glover, like running away from people throwing spears at him or something like so you could you could derive a lot of uh, a lot of humor from that discontinuity between the reality and the story that's being told, and I would just love to see the two of them both playing Lando Calrissian in a movie, which is why I badly oh, want good. this movie to be a thing. <laughs> Disney make this movie because <laughs> he was they were gonna make a Lando show at one point, like he was gonna get the Disney Plus treatment. And I don't know if that's still on the table or not, because um, they've basically just given up <laughs> throwing up their hands on star wars after episode nine and been like ah, i don't know um <laughs> i guess it's tv shows now um but yeah that, that's that, probably for the best that was gonna be a thing i i feel like this would be the approach to take if you were gonna do it though yeah and i mean you could definitely do it as a series no question but this is my yeah. movie pitch for a I, think it's, I think it's better as a movie if you like the way you're pitching it scott might work better as a movie because it's just like they're sitting around the sabacc table and someone's like hey lando how'd you get that scar or yeah. something like some he's like oh you want to hear the story about how i got this a weird piece of jewelry or a scar yeah. or a different ship or something <laughs> and then we hear that story and then he like mind harps of sheru or something yeah and yeah. his his telling of the story m- makes him much more <laughs> heroic than the reality i think is is part of the inherent joke of having Lando tell the story, honestly. And again, I think it would just be fun to have both of the actors who've played Lando playing Lando in the same movie, just at two different points in his life. Can I layer a joke on, because one of my least favorite things about Solo was that it kept, it felt the need to explain and justify all of these elements of Han Solo that like, I didn't need to know that he got his blaster from a guy one time or that he got his name at a thing. 
And so I like the idea if he's at the Sabak table and it's not other players asking him, it's that he keeps insisting, like, you guys, did I ever tell you the story of how I got this cool <laughs> ring? And they're like, Lando, we don't care. We don't want to know. We're like, here it's to play very cards. interesting. You've always seen me wearing this ring, and I bet you wondered where I got it. And they're like, no. We're, you what don't. about these dice? Do you want to know where I, found, where I got these like, dice? God damn it, Lando, no. We don't care. <laughs> but you could, and then he tells the story anyway. You could thread the needle by having him tell a story they want him to tell them, but he yeah. keeps derailing it by explaining some like lore minutiae that they and don't want to know about. how I got the dice. And they're like, this wasn't about the dice. We didn't this care. The the dice. <laughs> no, no, I'm getting to the part you oh, want to hear. Hold on. That would that would be so good if like if like the the narratives actually kind of like after a while they sort of like wove into like real. So he's explaining like these little things, but there's actually like this kind of awesome story that's going on in the yeah. background of how he got all these little trinkets and shit like that. I love that. Oh. So I, here's who I want to direct it. Um, I as you're describing this, I'm like, why does this sound like familiar? This sounds like I've seen this. It's reminding me a lot of the narration over Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Okay. <laughs> it's a guy so Richie guy, Get Guy Richie to make it. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and it's got that, like, kind of gangster hustle. Like, there's fucking special songs playing in the background. It's kind of got that, like, you know. And uh, you know what? That's fair. By because Lando. Figrin Dan in the casino band or the cantina band. Yeah, Figrin Dan in the modal notes. But that kind of works because Lando is a gambling con man. He, like, yeah. having that kind of swagger in your movie yeah. would work for this. Yeah. 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 I also love Greg's idea of like you thread in like a major part of Star Wars. Like there's a, a a big epic narrative happening in the background that we just never get to see firsthand. <laughs> but like is constantly like if you watch the background of all these scenes, you get to see like a major turning point of like like I'm, I'm thinking of something yeah, like in the like- sequel trilogy where the the First Order is there, and you're like, wait, how did the Empire like turn into the First Order? Where did they come from? What's the story behind that? And we get to see the story of that play out entirely in the background. Yeah, it's like just like Maz Kanata's there with Luke's lightsaber, just like cutting people down or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just he's just walking by it. He's just trying to steal a hover bike yeah. in this scene. He's just- <laughs> and it, it, Lando would be hyper focused on his own drama and not paying attention to the larger oh. epic space opera that's happening just just behind him. That's very good. <laughs> <laughs> There's my Lando Calrissian movie, guys. I love it. I, I, I think after, as I recall, I think you might have pitched at least part of this at the uh, when we did uh, Han Solo. Yeah, I think the germs of this started when we talked Solo. Yeah. You know what? It's possible because this one's been rattling around in my brain for a while. It's still good. It's still a. It's still a good pitch. It's okay. I have another pitch for later. <laughs> Speaking of later, let's uh, let's hear from our friends at the Alberta Podcast Network, and uh, when we come back, we'll bang them off a little more rapid fire. Uh, some of our pitches and some of your pitches. Uh, thanks for all the listeners that added them. This episode of I Have Some Notes is brought to you by the Northwest Fest International Documentary Festival running in cinema from May 6th to the 14th and online from May 5th to 15th. NWF is thrilled to finally be able to bring the festival back to Metro Cinema this year with an outstanding lineup of some of the year's best docs and a few fun surprises. This year's festival is a hybrid affair with over 20 films screening at Metro Cinema, including the acclaimed Nick Cave music doc, This Much I Know To Be True, along with dozens feature and short films screening online. Award-winning 
Acting filmmaker Alexandra O'Philippe will also be in town to present his filmmaking masterclass. This event will be open to the public and is an absolute must for anyone who's ever dreamed of making their own film. Check out the full Northwest Fest film lineup and purchase all-access passes or single tickets at northwestfest.ca. Is This For Real? is a podcast about various facets of black life in Edmonton. In the first season of the show, Breaking the Blue Wall, host Omar Salafu explores anti-black racism in policing and tells stories about policing in schools, accountability in Alberta's policing system, and the impacts of police violence on black Edmontonians. You can listen to the podcast and read more about each episode at isthisforreal.ca. You can also support the work of these podcasters and future seasons on Patreon. Welcome back to I Have Some Notes. We're doing a side notes where we're pitching each other movies. Um, uh, yeah, this, is a, this has been good times. Very jubilant. This is a jubilant episode. <laughs> if we're going to do some rapid fire pitches, I say we go right back to the top of the order to our guest Robin to start us off. Oh boy, uh, get ready for more licensed properties that I will never be given permission. Um, so this one was initially going to be my big pitch, and then I'm like, I don't know if like it's, I don't know if I have enough of a of a unique angle on this, so I'll put it in my rapid fire part. But essentially, we all know they're going to do an MCU X Men movie. Um, the X Men are my favorite favorite superheroes in the my favorite comic series, and the the only ones I really care about. Um, and I know they're going to do it, and they're going to do it differently how, than how I would want them to. Uh, so before they do whatever they're going to do, and it, it might be good, it might be bad, I want to just like get it on record of like, this is what I would do if you handed it over to me, which you will never do. Um, <laughs> basic Cliff's Notes is I really loved what they did bringing Spider-Man into the MCU uh, in that they just like, I remember reading an interview with the directors where they said like, we if we're doing another Spider-Man movie this close to all those other Spider-Man movies, we're going to make a big list of everything we've already seen. And none of that is allowed in our Spider-Man movie. Like, we can't... We're not showing Uncle Ben dying. We're not showing him get bit by the spider. We're not, like... All of that is out, and we're only going to see new ideas in the Spider-Man movie. And I think you take the exact same approach with the with the X-Men. Um, my my pitch... Marvel kind of overdoes this, this whole thing of, like, oh, there's been secret characters in the background this whole time. They kind of did it with Wakanda, and they did it with... The Eternals, and I feel like there are other examples you can point to where it's like, oh, this was always going on. So I hate to suggest it again here, but I think it's really the only way to give it a sense of, like, history. I feel like when you start the X-Men at the beginning, it's actually kind of boring for a while. The fun part is when they've been around for several decades of this mutant-human conflict, and, like, you get to a sense that there's this grand opera going on that that has uh, been going on for a while now. Um, and I think that fits because you've also had about a million X-Men movies already. Um, so to kind of kill two birds with one stone, you make it mutants have existed for a while, but it's been very secret. The Xavier's school has been kind of like, you know, rounding them up with Cerebro and keeping them under wraps because they know that humanity would hate and fear them. Um, and all of our existing X-Men characters that we have seen in every movie, Professor X, Magneto, Cyclops, Wolverine, they're, they're gone. That It's not that they aren't in this movie because they don't exist yet or they haven't like they, they are historical figures in this movie that are not currently present at the mm. school maybe they're dead maybe they're they've given up the you know they've retired maybe it's mysterious what happened to them but like we're starting with a new batch of mutants that we haven't seen uh emma frost runs the school at this point because she's fantastic and the best character um and i want to i want to see her done right and not 
not mailed in performance by January Jones cashing a check. <laughs> uh, I would love to see uh, a proper take mm-hmm. on that character. Um, I think every X-Men movie has done like that. We've seen a lot of POV characters that are trying to do Kitty pride from the comics. They kind of did it with rogue in the first movie and they've done it with Jubilee in the cartoons. And I feel like you just, you just do Kitty pride. She, she's due for like a, a good, not being a side character. Um, but yeah, that generation of like, we we don't get the ones we've seen a million times. We get some of the ones we've seen once or twice. Uh, maybe we get a good take on Nightcrawler. We get a Colossus in there. Uh, I feel like rather than, you can also have some stand-ins for your existing characters. You don't have Magneto, uh, but you have his daughter Polaris, who has like the same power set and kind of fills the Magneto role. You don't, maybe have, Wolverine, don't have Wolverine, but X-23. X-23 is yeah. there. Um, you have your like, your archetypes, but you've also like, you're doing a different spin on it. Um, and as for the plot, I think you do, uh, the Genosha arc from the comics, which is essentially there's like a, a utopian island that turns out to be, uh, enslaving and subjugating mutants in kind of a, it's sometimes a clumsy apartheid metaphor. Um, but in this, uh, I like the idea that like the big conflict revolves around like, do we reveal ourselves to the world? Uh, like the stakes are if, you know, can we do this, but still stay in secret and ultimately the, the, uh, aftermath of the movie is that the world now knows about mutants. Um, and I feel like for your villain, uh, got a Mr. Sinister. They haven't done him yet. Uh, they're doing some really fun <laughs> stuff with him in the comics, uh, making him just really flamboyant and over the top. Um, so I want to see a good big screen Mr. Sinister. He's also never been on the big screen. Yeah. Uh, at risk of making this pitch longer. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> I had to stop because, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I like the idea that uh, the mutants might be talking about revealing themselves now because of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe yeah. stuff that's been going. Like people are people have met Thor at the store. Like the yeah. world will accept us now. And then there's that conflict between the the old guard mutants who are like, no, the world will never accept us, and these this new new batch of mutants who are like, no, like superheroes are on the news every day. We can do this now. It's safe to do this now. And you can explore some of that, like, they've always been a, a metaphor for, you know, minorities, whether it's a racial minority or a, a sexual minority or what have you. And you can explore some of that of, like, the stage we're in currently where the world is very accepting to a point, but also still draws weird lines and is like, well, trans people, absolutely not. And it's like, you're, how are you on board with gay marriage but not trans rights kind of thing uh could be an interesting dichotomy between like you the avengers are fine but the x-men are not okay what the fuck (laughs) now that that works actually i like that and i think that the cerebro is a great justification for how they've kept hidden is that like he you know professor x has just been bringing them in um yeah secretly is a great way how you it's the bubble around Wakanda. It's the we're done now. Well, and part of the Eternals. Part of yeah. part of the uh, part of the backlash against them could also be the learning that Professor X was using Cerebro to basically brainwash the rest of humanity to not notice the mutants. Yeah. Oh, I love and he was that. doing it for doing it for perfectly altruistic reasons. But how does that look to a bunch of normies yeah. who were brainwashing us all to not notice these people who are living among us? That's terrifying. You can also, you can see why that would cause a backlash, right? Yeah, well, all the best X Men stories have Professor Xavier like being overstepping really morally himself. gray and overstepping, yeah. and everyone and everyone else being like, "Holy shit, maybe don't." <laughs> so I love that. It's <laughs> a great angle. <laughs> cool. I, I've overstayed my, my time on the short nope, bit. So someone else go. What do you got? What do you got? 
Uh, I've always wondered what uh, Ron the One Half would look like as a, uh, a live action movie. Um, Round the one half. Ronma one, one half. It's an. It, this is a '80s and '90s manga series that was turned into okay. uh, an anime by the same person uh, who around did... the same time by no, Rumiko Takahashi. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's uh, it's the story of the Saotomi and Tendo family, who um, the Saotomi son Ranma and the Tendo uh, daughter Akane have been arranged to marry. The twist is that um, the, the Ranma has, um, in his martial arts training, uh, fallen into a cursed spring. And when he's doused with cold water, he turns into a woman. When he's to- doused with hot water, he turns back into a man. Um, so I like. I guess that's like the my question would be like, would something like this be an interesting way to explore gender in a modern context because Ranma is very much like in the in the 80s uh version of this um uh, a uh, chauvinist and and uh, kind of a misogynist he was and... he was brought up with the understanding that he needed to be a real man so the mm-hmm. fact that he spends 50% of his time as a woman is actually a huge part of his character arc. Yeah. And Rimuko Takahashi said that like, she never really was, she was never really trying to say anything about, about gender with the comic. But interestingly, as the um, show progressed, like Ranma becomes more and more comfortable with his woman's side. So like there's, there isn't like, there would be really like an interesting way of exploring gender through that. Um, but you know, like the 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 cartoon itself is sort of like it's it's pretty. It can be pretty misogynistic at times and stuff like that because it's it's it also is very slapstick. The eighties, yeah, um, but also very funny in a lot of places and really wacky. Yeah, I wonder if that sort of falls into the same trap that like why the last man the criticisms the the valid criticisms it's levied where like when that book came out it was kind of a cool premise and then yeah. now we're making a show of it in 2022 and some people are like um that's not the cool progressive premise you think it is <laughs> and I wonder if maybe this this might be in that vein I don't I don't know I don't know yeah. enough to say but I feel like it might be the sort of thing that like it's either very much a great like now is the time to strike uh, on this or it's like definitely a stale <laughs> yeah that it, is yeah not shouldn't be touched with a 10 foot it pole. could definitely be a product of its time that's for sure oh yeah for sure i love when an um, author is like oh i was never trying to say anything with this uh or an artist of any kind because it's always just like well maybe not but you you did like you, you can't help but like <laughs> yeah put your own experience into your work. And it's, it's like hearing Tolkien talk about it. It's like, it's not an allegory for anything. And it's like, I don't, I don't know, man. Like you had a lot of lived experience that I think made its yeah. way in here, whether that was your intent or not. I don't, yeah. It's, in, it's interesting because, um, you know, you could, you look at like, um, like it's, uh, some sort of like older, old films or like, and remaking, um, remaking them based on the, the, social issue they're trying to tackle and like you know some of us are sort of like you know i don't want to say ahead of our time on on, but we're more on like the cutting edge of social progression than maybe other people are and you wonder if like something like this would be uh an inch like like a movie that could talk to the people who aren't quite there yet Mm. you know what i mean 
Because like there's still yeah. there's still a voice for that because like they, I was I was watching like clips from a comedian today who was just like still doing like all these like um, foreign accents and stuff like that and we we're like are we really still doing this you know but like you know they, he was a famous guy and he was and he's got lots of specials so there, no one's telling him not to do it so like it so there's you know for for people like us who are like maybe a little bit more forward thinking um, you know there's still a lot of uh, folks who are who are not necessarily there yet on on certain social issues and there's definitely a danger of like progressives making art for other progressives and everyone forgetting to like oh we actually have to speak to everyone who's not here like we can't just make art that pats ourselves on the back for our own progressive views so something like this could be a good way to actually spread a message as opposed to just being like you know appreciate that i have the same progressive take that you do aren't aren't we all so great in our bubble yeah well, you, you think yeah. about that, but like that's like a lot of people um, on the on the sort of more conservative side of things do feel like they're being talked down to by a lot of movies, and maybe that's totally. and maybe that's part of the reason why. It's just like they're they're maybe like they feel like they've ha- they're tr- trying to play catch up or something like that, and yeah. it's and it's you know frustrating when it's or when it's things like, are happening yeah ob- faster it's got like than a, what yeah they- obviously tone to yeah, it. yeah like, exactly yeah. right yeah don't you get it everyone's equal you idiot. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I need to know because I quickly Google image searched from uh, one half when you started talking about this because I'm not familiar with it at all. And every image has a big panda in it along with that's his other dad. characters. <laughs> yeah, his dad. That's his his dad, dad fell into a. Cra- that, that's the that's the real comedy of the whole series is like everyone keeps following Ranma through his journey and they all end up at this um, Dusankyo, which is like the cursed spring training ground, and they all keep falling into these. Uh, so there's like a guy who turns into a goose. There's a woman who turns into a cat there's a there's a, a boy who turns into a tiny little piglet it's uh yeah it's great as you were explaining the pitch <laughs> and they like, form the animorphs <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah. yeah i thought for actually, sure you were gonna say he correctly, into a panda but it's his dad i, I, I think it it's actually i think it might actually be f- free to watch on it's either prime or Tubi. i can't remember which one i was i looked it up on but you can actually hmm. you, you the, the, like the one of those two it's on you can watch the the like three seasons worth of it if you're ever interested in it oh dang cool uh well i i have a pitch that also uh you know traffics in in uh discussions of of gender um obviously you know us four white men are definitely the people to be bringing this uh, conversation <laughs> to the table yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, and also now I'm thinking is my is what I'm about to pitch very much what Robin was saying of like hey let's be a bunch of progressive people and pat ourselves on the back <laughs> being so smart and clever and agree uh, uh, but fuck it I think it's a great idea anyway so um, I actually know Greg because we played a lot of the game Overwatch together that's how we how we met um, and uh, Overwatch started an esports league about four or five years ago uh, launch made a big to do about it teams in every city. There's a whole thing like there's there's a Vancouver and a Toronto Overwatch team, and I was very interested in this endeavor. And I look at the rosters, and it's all dudes. <laughs> it's a whole esports league of dudes, and I'm like, in video games, really? Like it barely makes sense to have like only men in like the NHL, yeah. but to have an esports league that's all like not even 95% men, 98% every player was a dude and so i'm like that's absurd and i just got the idea to have a underdog feel-good sports movie about an all-female or at least non-male esports team uh the working title is a league of legends of their own 
<laughs> ah, you built into that punchline um, the whole time, and I love it. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I mean, it's it's literally it's just all the beats of a sports movie, but it's about a bunch of of women, non-binary people. Uh, um, trying to enter the competitive world of esports and having to deal with um, all of the challenges that an underdog team in a sports movie faces and all of the challenges women have on the internet and in gaming and in the gaming world. Because, um, oh boy, video games, not a great place for yeah. women, yeah. unfortunately. I was going to so, ask, do you know with the with the league in real life, is it a is it a mandate that it, like this is a men's league or is it just because it's so toxic that no I don't are. know I don't know but I have to believe it's just coincidental um or like a marketing thing because that was the other thing is like there's there's teams the teams are like named for cities but they're actually owned by like weird rich guys like other sports teams so like I'm a weird rich guy from London so I own the London overwatch team and I bought the eight best Korean kids and one white kid with a mohawk um, to be my my team or like existing esports yeah, teams. Yeah. They just sort of bought them up like guys who were in the minors bought those teams and made them um, esports. Um, yeah, and I think they all just live teams. in California, right? Yeah, I mean, they all live in... The, the show is shot in California. During the season, they all live in California. Yeah. Um, no one's flying to Beijing to play in a, play a game. But. That's hilarious, the concept of, like, a regional sports team for an esports league, because it's like, what, like, not only do they... You know, that's already a kind of a laughable thing in real, like, physical sports of, like, oh, it's the Edmonton team, but, like, the people can be drafted from wherever, and they just, like, move to Edmonton. Yeah, half of them are from Czech Republic. Yeah. And, like, but in esports, like, you don't even have to move to the city. Like, it's all online. You can <laughs> you can never leave California. And like, yeah, I play yeah, for the I'll London pay- whatevers. I don't know. I play for whoever pays me. Yeah, at least at least with sports teams, they actually like subsist in your city, and they're 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 kicking around there, and you can you know you're going you you've got like stores and things like that to go in that are all about their team. But like when it comes to like these esports, like that's it has nothing to do with Toronto at all. Like I, yeah, it, other than some weird millionaire from Toronto bought a yeah. existing team of <laughs> of esports competitors, yeah, that's so and in, and introduced them into the league. Holy so anyway, goodness. so I figured. Do the do the movie about the the all female either Overwatch or League of Legends team. So, love it, yeah. Scott. What do you got? So it's funny that you mentioned Death of Stalin during the first half of this podcast because um, <laughs> that's kind of where my pitch is going. Um, so uh, preface: I just uh, finished listening to Robert Evans do an epic six part behind the bastard series <laughs> on Henry Kissinger. And at the end of it, I went, I very badly want Armando Iannucci to do a Watergate movie. Oh, Watergate by the guy who did Veep, Death of Stalin, and Mm. In the Loop. Yeah. Perfect. Like, he would perfectly capture the nonsense and the pettiness and the just unbelievable craziness that was going on in Nixon's White House while his presidency was circling the drain. And I want him to make that movie so bad now. Because <laughs> even just hearing, and I highly recommend, if you're if you're even vaguely interested in Nixon's White House, go listen to the Behind the Bastard series on Henry Kissinger, because some of the stuff they discuss is insane and hilarious <laughs> and terrifying in equal measure. And I, th- I can think of no better director to capture that that moment in history with 
perfect lucidity the way that he did with the palace intrigue after Stalin died than Armando mm-hmm. Iannucci. So I want him to make the Watergate movie because I think only he can do it right. <laughs> oh, man. Love but it. if you put out a casting call asking for anyone who thinks they can do a Richard Nixon impression, how are you going to sift through that? <laughs> That'll break the universe. <laughs> 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 that's everybody that's all the actors that there are the, well okay hang on i don't know why this is where my brain went but i'm like you know who i would, who I would no hang, hang, okay i can't stop now um but it was like what about like a um michael richards <laughs> oh my god <laughs> i don't want to give him a job but like i just feel like if you like just to see him like that sweaty and like shaky yeah <laughs> it could be his from what i've heard he's like feels bad about the whole thing in the comic yeah, book. it could like, be yeah. his redemption arc, yeah. <laughs> People talk about him as, like, one of the guys who, like, who learned from it and was like, oh, I don't get to, I don't get to do that anymore. Like, I'm, I'm, my fame is over. I'm out. <laughs> Maybe this is comeback. Yeah. I don't think we get to decide when he's served his yeah, time. Yeah, it's not us. <laughs> no. <laughs> But what we can decide is to give Armando Iannucci millions of dollars to make a movie about the Watergate scandal from the perspective of Nixon's White House. Love it. Yeah. Um, I've got another quick one. Do we have any other ones before we do our listener suggestions? No. Nope. Great. Okay. There's one last one. Is a, a, My only one that isn't a, a wholly original idea. Um, uh, I want to also reboot an old property. Um, it's 2022. The people are clamoring for it. We need it. I have a a, a fresh take on the Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Here for it. Hit me. So here's the here's my premise for a Beverly Hillbillies reboot. It, I know it's supposed to be a movie pitch, but I think it makes better as a series. Would make make a better series. So Jed Clampett, uh, he's he's retired. He's washed up. He's broke. Um, he is a former. Uh, um, uh, he's not a mountaineer. He's not like shooting squirrels to feed his family. Um, but he is out of work because the work has dried up. As is what what is no you know happening in America. He used he used to clean up orphan wells, and even the orphan well cleanup industry has dried up. <laughs> um, so it's not oil. He doesn't strike oil. He finds out that he is the last living rights holder to a weird old comic book character that Hollywood wants to make a movie out of. <laughs> Uh, and so he has to pack up his family and move to Beverly um, Hills, that is. Uh, and then hilarity ensues. And so it's instead of them striking oil, they strike a valuable intellectual property. Uh, and we explore the world of needless reboots and rehashed ideas. Uh, uh, the idea of brands and IP and copyright as a resource like oil, like how much can we wring from this old well? How much can we wring from Animorphs? Um, <laughs> can I can I uh, escalate this slightly? Yes. What if it's not a uh, uh, superhero that he has the rights, the intellectual property that he has the rights to? This is a guy who is a descendant of, uh, like he's a, he's washed up and living out in in the middle of nowhere, and he's he's a real hillbilly now, but he's a descendant of whoever owned the rights to the TV show The Beverly Hillbillies. Um, (laughs) It is both a Beverly Hillbillies story, but it's also about like the meta narratives they're trying to reboot the Beverly Hillbillies in this Beverly Hillbillies movie. That's that's a great angle too, yeah. I think they already did this with Bewitched. I never watched it, but I'm pretty sure that's how they did the Bewitched movie. I think you're right. I think that is the premise of Bewitched. 
it's clever. The guy who is going <laughs> to reboot Bewitched marries a witch. Yes, yeah. I. Uh, it's interesting that you bring up the, the Beverly Hillbillies thing because somebody pointed out on social media, and I, I put myself on the spot, so I absolutely cannot uh, cite who, who said this, and I'm not trying to mm-hmm. take credit for it, that it dawned on them that Shit's Creek is the, f- is the mm. negative of Beverly Hillbillies because it's a rich family <laughs> that strikes it poor and has to move to the sticks. <laughs> it's written in my notes. I had made the same observation because I was describing Beverly Hillbillies to my, my partner, Amanda, and I was like, yeah, it's kind of like a reverse Green Acres, which is really just Shit's Creek before Shit's Creek was Shit's Creek was Green Acres. Um, oh, weird, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there, there's all that. And the only other wrinkles I want to add is if it's a series, there's time to explore things. So I think the kids, if they're living in, in Hollywood, cause he's got kids and a wife, they get into like social media influencing. Maybe one of them gets into crypto, which is also <laughs> a weird like investment. Like I struck big, like pa, I got, I bought these NFTs. Um, uh, and just that general, like, uh, the commodification of like personality and ideas instead of actual functional resources like, like oil. So. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Solid premise. But I like I like that it ties back on itself and it's time to reboot the Beverly Hillbillies and he strikes gold and <laughs> I hadn't noticed the the Schitt's Creek Beverly Hillbillies Green Acres trifle like we just we love stories of class mobility. It can be upwards or downwards, yeah. it doesn't matter. We just we like seeing people move from one social class to another social class. Yeah. Princes and or poppers. <laughs> Cool. Well, that's been that's been our pitches, but our listeners had some of their own. Just like uh, when we do the uh, episodes, we want your notes for the movies. Uh, you hit us with your pitches, and you did not disappoint. Uh, so let's get into them. Tack uh, pitches uh, a black and white detective noir with an entirely era appropriate cast of CG actors. We know it'll happen eventually. He says in brackets. <laughs> uh, maybe a sequel to the Maltese Falcon. This I'm, is my nightmare. I hate yeah, this I'm, so much. I'm like simultaneously. <laughs> simultaneously i like this idea and i'm horrified by this idea and tack is absolutely right it's going to happen at some point yeah oh yeah like it's a it's a solid pitch and a, and a cogent observation but also this is like every goddamn luke skywalker scene in the new star wars shows where i hear people talking online about like oh yeah it's really good it's cool to see young luke back and i'm like how can you watch it and not just be shaking in existential dread i hate it <laughs> Uh, the, the implications of what this means for like, yeah, ugh, Hollywood owning your soul and your likeness yeah. for all eternity. I hate it so much, but good. I mean, I'll, I'll take a, I'll take a Peter Cushing in in Rogue One before watching a Tupac hologram. Like going to a concert to see Tupac's hologram, it seems much more insane to me than just like we we animated Humphrey Bogart like. I don't yeah. know. They both they both freak me out in different ways, but fair. <laughs> yeah, like it brings up so much. To like in an era where we're concerned about like consent and stuff like that, to be just like posthumously just like putting people in things just and like puppeting your digital and, corpse. Yeah. Like, oh my god, so I hate weird. it so much. Yeah, <laughs> like that Dan Cook bit about um uh, uh Bob Barker <laughs> being on a string. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it's literally that. Yeah. Anyway, good pitch. <laughs> <laughs> Pitch deck. Uh, Tech has the second one. Uh, see if they go two for two. Uh, or a Riddler movie. Not the Riddler from the capital T, the Batman. Uh, but a new vigilante is brutally over-policing, so a reformed Edward Nigma must return to his green jumpsuit to uh, stop this supposed hero. Oh, that's that's a fun reversal. Yeah, I, yeah, uh, I do like that. I have a, a long, simmering comic book pitch for a uh, the Riddler 
ongoing series where he basically becomes Sherlock Holmes in Gotham City. Like he becomes a private detective, which I would love to do, and it will never happen. Another another thing they will never let me anywhere near. But that's <laughs> that kind of lines up with that. So I like it, Tech. Uh, <laughs> what I like, what I like about that is that that potentially has the Riddler trying to solve crimes by coming up with riddles for the crime that he's solving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. Like, how do his riddles play in at that point if he's not the one leaving the cryptic clues? Yeah, because he's good at solving cryptic clues, so he's good ah. at solving complicated mysteries like Sherlock Holmes, and he's motivated by wanting to prove that he's a better detective than Batman, so that he can prove. Ultimately, he's better than Batman. Just from the other angle, he's not. Yeah. He can't. He can't out villain Batman, so he's going to try to out detective Batman. In this pitch of him being like taking down uh, the vigilante, like does he does he give him an out of like, all right, I'll give you a riddle, and if you can solve it, then then I'm backing off. But if you can't crack my riddle, then I'm taking you down. Uh, I, I like the I'm idea that he's it. just that he's just cleverer than the vigilante, and he's uh, he's trying to lure the vigilante <laughs> to his doom. That's pretty good. Uh, Munzee uh, comments, uh, a heist movie that takes place in some manner of a D&D style high fantasy setting. Uh, and then it quotes, get in, we're going to go rob a wizard. <laughs> I actually had a similar idea, which I'd been uh, rattling around in my brain. Not a, not a heist movie, but mine was a detective story in a, in a D&D world. Where you've got... Uh, I like a heist because uh, the, the whole point of a dungeon is that you're going to try to find, like, the, the lost sword of such and such. Oh, for sure. And, Every Gary Gygax um, dungeon crawl is a heist movie. Like... Yeah. <laughs> you could so you could make a movie the of the Tomb of Annihilation and call it a heist movie. Like, a very deadly <laughs> is, heist Is this movie. our second Guy Ritchie pitch of the night? <laughs> <laughs> I Yeah, let me... Show me the Guy Ritchie Dungeons and Dragons movie and watch... <laughs> yeah, I... Oh my god! I just, just I didn't know I wanted that till those words came out of my mouth. I'm gonna go watch uh, Snatch later. Uh, uh, Darth Willem says uh, an archaeologist finds an entrance to a forgotten city from some ancient civilization. Uh, he they go through it only to find that the entrance has vanished behind them. Uh, endeavoring to go deeper into the tunnel, uh, he finds that as he goes deeper, things get stranger and more supernatural. Might make for an interesting found footage film. Uh, and uh, of all of that, I like the last bit there, uh, um, Darth. You know, this uh, actually kind of sounds a little bit like As Above, So Below. Um, is that the Paris Catacombs yeah. movie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was that's thinking, what I was thinking, of, thinking yeah. too. Also, I was, I was thinking movie. about... It, it's a great movie. I love it. Um, I, I was thinking about um, um, how... This is sort of unrelated to this pitch, but how you would do like a modernized take on Indiana Jones, like what that character would look like in sort of like a, tw- um, a 2022 setting. Like, like I guess he maybe he looks more like, um, you know, uh, like an Uncharted movie. Um, but like, is there more is there a way to either take out the the colonized colonizer aspect of it or to like do it in a way that sort of like subverts the <laughs> you, colonizer you cannot dig in a tomb without having a colonizer <laughs> yeah, aspect of it that's kind of like what i was thinking you know? um but if it was i just like the idea of a found footage action movie like those there are often horror movies but to do one as as an action movie like this documentary crew goes to some ancient tomb and suddenly we're watching them pull Indiana Jones stutch stunts from a handy cam because they're still trying to document their 
completely earnest, like, uh, archaeological dig that has suddenly has boulders falling on them. None of them are planning to dodge boulders. They just wanted to dust some rocks. Um, and then found footed, yeah, found footed action tomb film. And it does kind of take care of your colonial aspect because they're trapped there. They go through a magic door. So it's like, oh, we're not here to raid any, like we're, we were just trying to do a dig and now we're stuck and we, we have to battle our way out of this temple. Uh, Ian Runkle says, John Wick crossed with my fair lady. Two guys having a dispute about whether being a great assassin is nature over nurture and end up with a bet where one of them takes on a protege. (laughs) That's it. I I have no additions to that. This is a good pitch. (laughs) Uh, Friend of the show, Olav Rockne, says a movie called Fly by Night. By day, she's a corporate lawyer, but by night, she fights crime as a fly. (laughs) She is the fly. (laughs) Now... Does she turn into an actual fly, or is she like Spider-Man? She has fly-like powers. Yeah, fly fiend. I guess my question for for Olav, and I obviously could just text him, but is like the, the idea that something's fly-by-night, like, oh, that's a real fly-by-night operation, I always thought just assumed any any kind of, like, you know, guy selling stereos out of the back of the car kind of, like, you know, this place, is, you know, ghost kitchen vibe, but is, is fly-by-night specifically for a legal like for a, a lawyer is a fly by night lawyer. I think he's just making a play on words there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it. Yeah. <laughs> he said he said it's a sequel to the fly, but uh, not the remake. He said it's the sequel to the 1958 one set in Montreal. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, okay this this actually turns it around. Then is she also a fly while she's being a lawyer? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen the original fly, so I can't answer that question. But I love that an Olaf pitch comes with homework. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and finally, uh, John Frankie Kennedy uh, commented, "Remake seven, but you know, for kids." <laughs> <laughs> the seven animated feature. Yeah. <laughs> Anything under the premise of Muppet Babies is very funny to me. Like, take, it, it works. <laughs> Blank but Muppet Babies. Um. I was trying to come up with that that meme of like, you know, remake a movie with the Muppets and you keep one human actor for seven and like, Morgan Freeman, I guess. I don't know who you keep in that. Honestly, I know, and I, I, know I, I hate to say keep. this. What's in the box? What's in the box? Here's, here's the thing. And I, I realize That's- I'm saying it, but you keep Kevin Spacey. That I was gonna say. That's who yeah. I know. You don't keep. <laughs> oh boy! You actually that that voice, Liam, sounded like Raymond from Everybody Loves Raymond, which yeah, also would be hilarious if you replace Brad Pitt with, with Ray Romano. <laughs> Deborah, your head's in the box. <laughs> uh, so, Spoiler alert I, for I, seven. I wanna, by the way, I want to sneak this in right before we end because I had. Not a fourth one, but I just, I need it said because it, it kind of chapped my ass. I've had another pitch for something that this year Netflix made. Oh, you can no go way. watch it on Netflix, and they did it better. Uh, there's an animated show on Netflix called Inside Job, um, where it's a, it's like a workplace comedy about the secret world government. Um, oh, yeah. So all the conspiracies and things are true, and there's one organization that runs it all, and 
it's that's the workplace setting for this workplace comedy. I've had that pitch for years. I think they did it better than I probably ever would have done. They had some some stuff, some layers to it I hadn't considered. That's so like a tep yeah. a tepid recommendation for inside job. That's that's my experience. Whenever I have a good idea, someone else uh, also had it and executed on it better than I would have ever done it, and that's just heartbreaking for me. But also like <laughs> well, at the very least, it shows that I had a good idea, right? Like yeah. Right. yeah. Speaking of good ideas, uh, you should listen to the podcasts that Robin and I make together. You, I mean, you already listened to this one, so I don't have to convince you. But uh, yeah, you're thank already you for, at your computer. You're already listening to stuff. You're there. <laughs> um, so here's my pitch for you: uh, listen to Robin tell us about uh, the show that we are on uh, on the Alberta Podcast Network, Quantum Kickflip. Yeah, you heard my pitch for uh, you know a coming of age YA uh, novel taken to the extreme and explored in middle age. If you want to see how I'd handle like a straightforward YA coming-of-age story. You, I have a podcast where we do exactly that. We play the game Slug Blaster, which is a tabletop RPG all about dimension-hopping teens getting up into shenanigans in, in uh, parallel realities and learning about life and love and themselves. Um, but mostly it's a big, fun, wacky time where we get to shoot ray guns and blow up slugs. Uh, it's great. We're almost at our season finale. Um, so now is, like, the absolute perfect time. If you were waiting for your excuse of, like, when should I check out Quantum Kickflip and listen to it and get caught up, now's the time, because then you can be there for the finale and and, uh, and catch that in real time and see how it all ends. Uh, I'm so thrilled. We've been mm-hmm. doing some really cool stuff on the show. The story is getting... Uh, I finally get to reveal all of my machinations, and it's been so much fun, so... Highly recommend it. QuantumKickflip.com or, hey, Alberta Podcast Network. Uh, and while you're searching those things out, search us on uh, social media. Uh, we are at I Have Some Notes on Twitter and at I Have Some Notes Pod on Instagram. You can look us up on Facebook, too, if you want. Uh, of course, wherever it is you're interacting with us, even on your podcast app, give us a review, a like, a subscribe, uh, whatever little weird star the app wants you to click. Click it, please. Hey, if you like original stories, you might like Makeshift Stories, which is a bi-weekly journey into the improbable. It includes speculative fiction, sci-fi, and fantasy for all ages, created by Alan V. Hare. You can check out that podcast and more right now at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Hey, we've, uh, we've spent a lot of time on this podcast fixing a lot of movies, and the next episode will be our 100th movie that we will have fixed, and we will be... Uh, welcoming back our uh, original uh, host of the podcast, Colin McIntyre, for uh, Batman 1989. Perfect film. No notes, but I'm sure you'll have some. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely. And until then, I've been your host, Liam Kreswick. I'm Scott C. Bourgeois. I'm Greg Beaver. Keep watching the skies. 